This is Open Mic, a podcast by Centrifuge Media. Hey everyone, it's Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome to another episode of Open Mic, a Centrifuge Media podcast. We appreciate y'all listening along to some broader thought leadership from our industry. And as we explore today's talking points, make sure that you're heading to our website for more Centrifuge Media content. You can find us at centrifugemedia.com. Again, centrifugemedia.com. And you can also subscribe to Open Mic on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for up-to-date thought leadership on the broader events industry, and of course, notifications when we drop new ones. Just hit that subscribe button. Today's episode is touching on not everyone's favorite issue of the times, but regardless, it's an important one to strategize around in the broader events industry. And that would be some major supply shortages in event production. So for some context, during the COVID pandemic, many companies in the event production industry saw a serious downturn in business. Naturally, they weren't having major live in-person events. And a Statista dossier report on the live events industry backs this up. They connected the dots between between COVID's impact and event ticket sales in 2020 and 2021. So for some more context, the numbers showed a steep decline between 2020 and 2021. We saw it down from, let's see, around $53 billion in 2019 to only 12 and $15 billion in event ticket sales in 2020 and 2021, respectively. So that's a massive drop in the scope of sales for the industry. And because of the forced move into virtual events, this shift eliminated the need for a lot of the equipment rental and labor that those business models were built on. And unfortunately, the world's return to form hasn't necessarily brought all of that labor and industry power back. And that same Statista dossier actually forecasts 2022 and 2023's event ticket sales to surpass even pre-pandemic, reaching as high as $77 billion in sales. So as in-person events are returning and returning with vigor, we are seeing that some of these companies that we partner with were forced to lay off or furlough employees, consolidate their branches, or in some cases, completely go out of business. So with today's podcast, we're digging into the unfortunate reality, right? Understanding the why and the impact and crafting strategies for our audience on how to adjust expectations and timelines, as well as adjust how you approach the availability of event production materials, again, for some key production elements, especially as these events roar back to life. So uh, to source their thought leadership and to uh, break down their perspectives on this topic. I'm pleased to welcome our two guests. First up, we're joined by Mr. Tanner Highland. He's project manager at Centrifuge Media. Tanner, welcome. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, real pleasure getting to source your perspectives here. And then we're also joined by Mr. Jack McDonald. He's director of corporate strategy at Centrifuge Media. Jack, welcome as well. How are you? Thanks. Happy to be here. Real pleasure sourcing your perspective on this as well. So Tanner, Jack, I want to start by, I guess, telling a story for the audience here, right? I think it's always useful to ground this into how this high level trend and big buzzy topic of supply challenges for event production are actually panning out into you know, real difficulties for real companies. So do you have any anecdotes that you can offer? You've been hearing from your partners about this persisting supply issue, anything that really stands out from the stories they've been telling you? 
There's a lot of them. You know, Tanner is really more on the front lines with those folks. So I'd, I'd like to hear his perspective. Sure. Yeah. Just like anything during the COVID-19 pandemic, there's been a lot of change. And obviously in the the event industry, there's been a lot of shuffling around. We've been hearing a lot of from a lot of our partners that they had to furlough and they had to, you know, make arrangements just to keep the lights on. And as we're starting to get out of it, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're hearing is either, you know, staff not coming back and them having to adjust and figuring out who they're going to have working those events. Or, you know, we've also unfortunately had several partners that didn't survive the pandemic. And so like one of our largest uh, custom scenic companies ended up just selling out and getting out of the industry as a whole. And then we struggle with the same exact issues that everybody else in the world is dealing with, with shipping, with shipping delays and the things that go along with just the national supply chain issues. You know, we had an event back in November that we shipped equipment out a week ahead of time and we still didn't get it until the very day that the event started. And so it's the stresses that come along with that that has been the biggest challenge as we transition back into in-person events. Yeah, and I, I can say from from someone that's, you know, been in this for a pretty good amount of time now that it, it's been, you know, heartbreaking to to see what's happened to so many friends and you know, we're we're competitive people and all of that, but you never want to to see someone that you even consider a, a competitor, you know, have something like this that's completely out of their control fall their way. And so, you know, we're 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 bummed about that aspect of it for sure. It's been hard to sit here for two years and watch this thing that we all love to do kind of kind of crumble in certain ways. It's been cool at the same time to see the resilience of a lot of people and a lot of the innovation and, and new things that have come about. But there was a reason why face-to-face was the preferred method for, you know, decades or, or, or more of meeting. And it's going to go back that way. And, and it's time to start, you know, lifting that fog a little bit and, and coming to grips with, you know, the reality of where we are right now. Right, right. So why would you say that more live events businesses were, you know, hit so hard, right? Why was it so difficult to pivot and to refocus some of those business models or to adjust with short-term band-aid solutions in mind that they could then come back around to? Why has that transition been so difficult? You know, I think for a lot of people who are a critical, you know, spoke in the industry, you know, that that rent large pieces of equipment. For for a lot of people like us that are more, you know, production focused, there was the ability to to pivot and generate revenue through virtual events. But if you're someone whose business model relies on getting trucks off of docks filled with projectors and speakers and, and rigging equipment. There's just no opportunities to, to get that stuff off the shelf and, and to get those trucks off the, out of the slip and off the dock. So there's really nowhere to turn. And the fixed overhead associated with maintaining a warehouse that's capable of servicing large scale events, the square footage that it takes to store truss, these large, you know, 20K projectors, it requires a, a, a massive physical footprint to store that stuff. It all has to be insured. It all has to be maintained. You know, so it, it's just, it's a really expensive game to get into. And it's the kind of thing where you can't fall behind from a technology standpoint. So, you know, to 2019, in January 2020, people were getting new budgets to spend for the year. None of us had the ability to foresee where all of this was headed. 
And so people were making, you know, investments in their business. And, you know, unfortunately, it suddenly became, you know, there was no market for that, that kind of business. And so I think a, a lot of those people, you know, did the best they could to get the virtual business that they could. But, you know, maybe a tenth of the equipment that they had invested in was actually valuable towards a, a virtual event or something that they could use to, to generate direct revenue from a piece of equipment. Whereas in the past, you buy that stuff with the expectation that it's going to be off the shelf a few times a month, at least, you know, to, to recoup that. So I, I think for someone that's so rooted in, you know, a physical business model, that it's just really hard to, to overcome that. And, you know, there's not, not even a market to sell off your inventory for anything near what you pay for it. Yeah. And, and I think to kind of add to that, it kind of, you know, as event companies, we rely on in clients and it kind of depends on what type of events they're doing and can those events be transitioned successfully over to virtual events during this pandemic that, you know, we were able to with our in clients, but there's a lot of companies out there that relied on concert, you know, revenue. They relied on, you know, party revenue. And that's just stuff that wasn't necessarily able to make the transition or at least did it on a much smaller scale. And so, you know, that's what we saw a lot from a lot of our partners was that they just didn't have the ability to even go virtual with a lot of the stuff that they had been doing if they had the ability of doing virtual stuff at all. And so, you know, Jack mentioned a lot of the big rental house companies that rented a lot of equipment. You know, it's one thing of not having equipment being rented out, but okay, do you have the ability of even putting together a studio in in your warehouse and renting that out? And I know that's mm-hmm. how some of our, our partners were able to make ends meet, but, you know, at the cost of having to furlough a lot of people because it didn't take a whole lot of, of manpower to have a permanent setup and you're having someone come in a couple times a month to use it. And right. so I think that that was a big factor with the people that we saw either having to downsize their operation or get out of the industry as a whole was they just didn't have the end clientele that had the need for a virtual dynamic and they just postponed until, you know, they were able to go back to in-person events again. Well, let's go ahead and paint that full picture then of the current state of the industry for our audience. Could you all list out some of the key production elements that are delayed or, you know, even non-existent in some capacity or just facing low supply today? And as you go through them, if you could also give us the, the big picture why of what got us to this point for each one, right? I'm sure the disruption is a little different for each one. So give us that rundown and uh, make sure to center the why for us. Yeah, I think that the biggest one is the labor. You know, the, you know, we've already touched on it, but in any industry, you rely on the people so heavily. And, you know, there's a lot of expertise that goes along with the stuff that we do, whether it, regardless of what type of equipment you're operating or the, you know, on the production side, what you're doing you rely on the people that to actually execute it. And that's been the biggest thing that we've noticed is there's been, been a lot of people that out of necessity had to get out of the industry and take careers outside of the event, you know, realm because of the stability of something else. You know, we've seen a lot of people take full-time jobs where, you know, they, they had worked decades as a freelance, you know, freelance technician. And so, and they 
love the event industry, but it's the instability of it, especially now that has forced them out of, out of the industry. And it's, it's going to take a little while to get back to that. You know, it's going to be where they feel comfortable transitioning back into it and knowing that there isn't another wave of COVID coming along that all of a sudden they're out of a job again for, you know, two years. Right. And, uh, you know, as far as the, some of the physical stuff that, that we've already seen and heard some disruptions on a big one that is a, you know, if you're just looking from the outside in, wouldn't maybe seem like a huge deal, but for us and for, for people in, you know, the, the types of corporate events that, that we do, pipe and drape is an essential component and it's, you know, often overlooked the importance of it, but it does a lot of things, you know, it masks a lot of things that, People don't necessarily want attendees to see, you know, cables and cases and all this stuff piled up. And, you know, for years and years and years, it's been abundant. And you in any major city you go to, it's very, very easy to get it. And if you figure out, you know, you're already there and you're three quarters of the way set up and, and you need a little bit more, it's a phone call away. And, it, you know, it takes a couple hours to get it and it's it's not going to ruin your day. And what we're already seeing is some of the major, you know, providers in the industry have not gone under, but whereas they used to literally have a branch in every city, maybe there's just one for a state now or one for a region now. And, you know, we're hearing things like, yeah, we can absolutely fulfill whatever you need that we always did. We just need two weeks heads up now of a very accurate count of the number of panels and and pipes that, that you need. And, you know, it sounds almost silly, like almost insignificant in the grand scheme of things, but that's a pretty big deal for us. And and right. for, you know, a lot of people that, that do what we do, something that used to be a two hour fix is now potentially unfixable. And so, you know, what, what, what's the danger there? Like, well, you have to overorder and we can't bill our clients to overorder. So, you know, that, that's, that's the thing that is, is kind of a, a rock and a hard place, you know, for, for someone like us. And, that's just one example. You know, Tanner mentioned earlier custom staging. What were they going to do during virtual thing? Like how many people needed a custom virtual set, you know, stage built? I mean, maybe they needed one for the whole two years or, or something like that. But it's just the, the kind of thing where they were doing them week in and week out for, for various production companies. And there, there just hasn't been a, a market for it at all. And, you know, he, he mentioned the key one um, that, that we've relied on in the past is, is just gone now. And so that that's something that, you know, is, is sad, but, you know, we'll have to figure out how to address that going forward. Sure. Yeah. And kind of building off the custom elements, you know, we, we've done a couple of custom elements for some shows here in the past couple of months. And what we're hearing from them is they they can do it, but just like any other national supply chain issues, we're having to order it, you know, two, three, four weeks sooner than what we had before. And so it's just pushing timelines further and further out. And so it's just something that clients need to be aware of, like something that used to be a three week timeline is now pushing out into the six week timeline just to make sure that we're getting the necessary materials in to create, you know, that custom signage or whatever it may be. Well, it really sounds like the solution lies in setting a standard for communication across all parties and relaying that to the end client as well, so that if there is disruption, it is you know brought to their attention early in the process, and that way expectations are managed. Does that sound about accurate? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And, I, you know, from our viewpoint and, and really, I think I could probably speak for most anyone in, in the events industry. We take a lot of pride as a as a company and as an industry and as individuals in our ability to say yes to, to what our clients need. And, and anybody that's been in, in the events industry at all understands that it is a rapidly changing <laughs> environment and, and nothing's a, a complete you know, firm concrete plan until the, the event's over. And so th- this kind of thing, it, it really flies in the face of, of what Centrifuge and, and many other companies have, have really lived by for, you know, the, the whole existence of, of the companies in the industry is, you know, like, yes, we can make that happen. We can make that happen. It, it's just, you know, snowballing into something that everybody, you know, needs to be aware of. And these things that, you know, we used to be able to pull a rabbit out of our hat the hat's a lot deeper now. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a Mary Poppins bag now. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. So then for those physical elements, uh, right, the, the panels, some of the key equipment that might be facing delays because of material shortages or backups across the global supply chain, do you see that issue just kind of resolving itself naturally as the supply chain and its various players keep trying to you know, solve this lingering challenge of adapting to a post-COVID environment? Or is that going to take more focused intervention by the events industry. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to correct itself. You know, I think that it's going to take time. It's not going to be something that happens overnight. I think that everybody in the industry is going to be a little bit more cautious about big purchases. I think that companies that operate with with physical equipment are going to be a little bit more mindful of what overhead they take on, you know, and it's not just equipment overhead, but it's also labor. And so like, you know, they may have the equipment in, in the warehouse or, you know, the machine to make, make the signage and that type of stuff, but they need to be able to have enough demand to get back to business as a whole. And so, you know, as supply chains across the globe start running a little bit more smoothly, being able to get some of like the materials in for custom signage and that type of stuff that kind of eases that, you know, dynamic, but you know, it, it's just going to be a slow build back to where we were at before. And so, you know, we mentioned earlier about, you know, companies downsizing and going from, you know, having an office in every you know city to now their regions. And so like, as demand comes back, I, I think that we'll see more expansion back into their old territories, but I think it's going to be a slow and it's going to be very cautious expansion just to make sure that they're not overstretching themselves and hit hard again in case something, you know, like COVID-19 pops back up. And y'all have also mentioned another important component creating some issues for the industry, you know, returning to form, and that would be the labor issues. So because of these mass cancellations and closures over the last two years, like you both mentioned, there was a heavy loss of professionals in the industry as they sought work and careers elsewhere, first temporarily just to make ends meet. But now it appears that that's kind of settling in as a permanent effect. So can y'all give us your perspective here and more details on the realities of this situation today, right? What effect is this having on live event productions and how serious is this issue, right? How much quality talent was actually lost? Yeah, I mean, it's immeasurable. 
there's a, a lot of, you know, world-class people out there that were forced into other industries that are booming right now. Construction is an example where there's tons and tons of very skilled, you know, carpenters and, and stagehands and riggers and people like that, that were doing very well in events and their skill set made a natural move over into an industry that, that was booming and construction. You know, they're doing very well. There's always going to be a construction industry you know it, it that was a few years back but it, you know it took a different kind of uh <laughs> took a different kind of global problem to slow that down at that time but you know food uh, service is another one you know we've seen folks slide over into that and you know a lot of people that are involved in events you know have education or background in in hospitality you know so there was, there was a, a natural move out of hotels and venues and event planning you know, in, into the food industry, which is, you know, you see it every single day in the news. They can't get enough labor right now. So, you know, it, it, th- there's there's been a, a major hit and and not just to the overall number of people working, but to the like top end talent. I, I do think a lot of people were tech savvy enough to to find a way. Um, you know, a lot of our freelance folks that, that we work with are, you know, extraordinarily talented and technically savvy and we were able to rely on their expertise to help us make that trans transition into virtual realm you know a lot of people that are really really skilled at, at certain aspects of av and, and event production are gone now and and they were you know some of the some of the really top end talent yeah and kind of just to add you know it's not just the technicians that we're seeing that are you know, an issue of having to rely on, you know, unskilled or not, I don't want to say unskilled, but, you know, under experience, like hotel staff. I mean, we've been in a couple of hotels that it's the second event that like an an event manager for the hotel is running. And before the pandemic, they were just a part-time, you know, labor, you know? And so as some of those higher, uh, higher level people have left the industry, out of a necessity, some of these companies have had to rely on more inexperienced employees, which, you know, over time, they'll get to the, get to the point where they have the experience and are able to handle it. But that comes with challenges of itself. And so, you know, at, when you're used to dealing with people that have had, you know, 10 years worth of experience running events in certain hotels, and then you're walking in as the event manager's second event, it just adds more confusion, uh, you know, it's just another hurdle to get over when you're already kind of trying to get back into the swing of things of going back to live events after, you know, a year and a half hiatus. So what strategies should the industry employ then, you know, I guess pun intended there a little bit, right? To, To readjust, to win back those employees. Does it come down to just better pay? Does it come back to better benefits, communicating trust, and maybe a more resilient business model? What is a realistic and needed action from the industry? You know, pay and benefits and, and compensation are an important part of the solution. You know, as someone with a lot of friends in the industry, I, I, I like the sound of that, you know, all of them doing better. But I think that's a, a short-term bridge into, you know, repairing things. The bigger thing is going to be getting back to face-to-face events and, you know, a sustainable business model based on the way things were pre-COVID. You know, all of these people that, that had, you know, careers, whether they're freelancers or employees, 
you know, they, they really have their trust in the industry they love violated, you know, in, in 2020. And there's going to be a long healing process for that. It wasn't any company's fault or the industry's fault or there's there's nowhere to lay the blame on someone. But that trust was violated and it, and it has to be repaired. And, and the only way that can be repaired is by people getting back to face to face meetings, by these job opportunities coming up. And, you know, where where there were closures and, and holes to fill, you know, an entrepreneur or a company, you know, seeing those those needs and stepping in and, and fulfilling that and, and hiring people and, and just making it so that people understand, hey, this is a long term career like it always was before 2020. You know, there was this violent disruption to it. But, you know, this is something that is not going to be, you know, something that you have to monitor every second of every day like it has been the last two years and and you know that we're we're going to have work for you you know whether you know there's variants that come or, or not it's just gonna it's just gonna take a while to to get into what whatever is the new normal i, I think things will kind of find an equilibrium yeah i mean for me i think that the biggest thing is stability you know the the techs and the the people that were able to weather the storm they're getting busier and busier but you're not going to get more more employees to come back into the industry if it's just for a couple events a month you know it's got to be the demand has to be there to really fill their schedule and make it worthwhile for them you know pay and benefits is great but it's going to be the stability that really brings people back into the industry and you know i don't know if that means a restructure of kind of the the freelancers you know you know the way that they've done business in the past but i know i we have a couple of freelancers that are signing contracts with companies where it's like okay i'm going to do these next 10 events with you for the next 2 months and that just adds a little bit of the stability of it there's still not an employee or anything like that there's still contracted labor but it just gives them that stability of locking in that employee for you know the next you know time frame and making sure that they have work and they're not going off and looking for to make a career change right yeah it sounds like it's got to be a mix of, you know, again, communicating actively with this employee base or contractor base to get them excited about rejoining the industry and probably also adjustments to the business model. Like you said, uh, providing guarantees too. It's like sometimes you got to make a bet on the employee as well. So even if it is a, let's say a two month contract for the next 10 events, right? Some sort of stipulation on even if these events get canceled, we'll still pay you an X minimum for signing on to this contract. Because if there's an expectation of sign on for these 10, but there's a 50-50 chance half of them get canceled, that's not that enticing either. And so there's got to be some trust. There's got to be some quid pro quo, at least in my opinion here. And I think that's going to take reanalyzing the business model and seeing where can we get flex, where can we get scrappy and build this trust back up with our professionals. Yeah. And just kind of add to that, you brought up a good point of the cancellation fees and that type of stuff. And, you know, we've been seeing that with not just the contractors and that type of stuff, but also hotels. A lot of it has changed since the pandemic because of how hard the industry was hit. And so as we go back into live, live events, it's just something that, you know, in clients need to be aware of is, you know, where the, 
if something came up and they canceled two weeks before, they could save some money and that type of stuff where now there's a lot stricter cancellation fees in place across the board. It's not just labor. It's from venues to, you know, shipping to everything just because of what happened back in 2020. All right, y'all, we're nearing the end of our conversation here. I really appreciate all of your insights and strategies for our audience. Hopefully they are taking notes and getting active here on uh, resuscitating this side of the industry. Now, my last question taps into one of the aspects of what made Centrifuge Media so resilient during this period, and that is virtual and hybridized events. Naturally, because of these mass closures, a lot of shows and a lot of events went virtual or at least hybrid. And that was it first seen as a Band-Aid solution, but we are seeing many industries persist with at least the hybridized option of, if you can't make it, we're going to have a great virtual experience for you to tap into. That also centers the customer experience and delivers on an engaging experience that maybe you couldn't even get in person, right? Elevating in different ways with an omni-channel approach. So I'm curious how you think virtual and hybridized events should factor into strategies for success here. Do you see any way that a virtual and hybrid investment can actually in turn support the larger ecosystem, right? That also supports the in-person events. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'll say in the near term, it would be unwise to just dive headfirst into like we're going to be face to face and there's no other option to at least not have some kind of contingency that that falls back on virtual or hybrid. And there's a lot of ways, you know, that can manifest itself. But I do think that long term, there are components of what we've learned over the past two years that will be valuable to, to people going forward and, and will change. Like if tomorrow the there was just, okay, no more COVID, it's no longer a talking point, everything can go back to normal. I do think some people have learned some lessons about the, the, the technical tools at their availability that, you know what, maybe some percentage of these attendees don't have to fly all the way from Asia or whatever over here to attend this. And, and maybe... Maybe this is a more convenient option. There's also, you know, a lot of, you know, interactive tools that I, I think we'll probably be talking about on this channel here more, you know, in, in the future that can really live outside of the face to face meeting and, you know, be, be really helpful in you know, communication pre and post event and can provide more, you know, interactive options than, you know, simply emailing out a message or even a pre recorded video or, or something like that. So there, there are going to be virtual and, and hybrid things that I don't foresee a time when when they're not you know included in most, if not all, of the the corporate events going forward. Yeah, I, I would agree with all that. I don't think that the virtual or hybrid is going to take over in person events whatsoever. You know, I think that it's just so important for that in person interaction, especially with a lot of the clientele that we have that have traveling sales staffs and, you know, people dispersed all over the globe. They really see the benefit in having those in-person opportunities. But I think that there is going to be elements that are going to be able to enhance the in-person events, you know, where you used to do, you know, if you got a training going on and you got 
it used to just be a packet that was email mailed out to you. You know, there's, there's aspects that we can make it more interactive now with some of the tools that we've learned during the virtual side of, you know, 3d environments and that type of stuff. And, but it's also one of those things where, you know, I think that the bulk of the attendees will be back in person, hopefully here soon, but you know, life happens and there's certain, there's times where, someone would have to miss a large scale event. And now we have the tools and we have the, the equipment and the know-how to make it where it's a less like just seeing a camera in the back of the room. It's a lot more interactive. And instead of them missing, you know, a three, four day meeting, they can still be interactive within that, that group. And, you know, I think it's still going to be a small percentage of the attendees that, that, do that. And I think that from an employer standpoint, they're going to still want people there in person, but I think that they understand that sometimes it's just not capable or not, not feasible to have a hundred percent of your employees at every single in-person meeting. All right. Well, I think with those strategies, we'll go ahead and wrap up the conversation. Hopefully our audience here has some you know better plans of action where they can implement hybrid strategies and reassess their business models and build some extra lines of communication to set expectations correctly for all players in their ecosystem to hopefully weather this disruption to the live events industry and build some of that foundation back up for the future. Thanks again to the two of you for your perspectives today. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us on the uh, podcast. Again, we've been chatting with Tanner Highland, project manager, and Jack McDonald, director of corporate strategy, both with Centrifuge Media. And uh, Tanner and Jack, if folks want to find out more about Centrifuge Media's perspective on these topics, maybe they want to get in touch with either of you or just tap into some more content. How can they do so? Yeah, centrifugemedia.com. Um, follow us on LinkedIn. We, we post regularly about you know what we have going on and, and uh, you know the, the work that actually goes on behind the scenes here in the office and some of the people that contribute to those efforts that are that are such an important part of uh you know the results that our clients get you know I, I, we we really like to use that channel to to showcase some of that so I, I would ask everyone to to go check us out on LinkedIn fantastic stuff all right Tanner Jack I appreciate y'all joining us thank you again thank you thanks and thank you, everyone, for tapping into this episode of Open Mic, a Centrifuge Media podcast. If you like what you heard and saw today, make sure that you're heading to our website, centrifugemedia.com. Again, that's centrifugemedia.com. And make sure you're subscribing to Open Mic on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Open Mic. Open Mic.